We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have on the program today, Rebecca Muller. She is a special education teacher in New Jersey, and she's the host of the Exceptional Circumstances for Exceptional Learners on Learning Revolution, which is a great site. You can check that out at learningrevolution.com slash groups slash E-C-E-L. Uh, she's been a special ed teacher for 12 years. She has a master's in education and a certificate in educational leadership from the University of Pennsylvania. Rebecca, welcome to Transformative Principal. Thank you so much, Jethro. It's a pleasure. Yes, I'm very excited to talk with you. I was on your uh, ECEL podcast a little bit ago and excited to to have this conversation today. So thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Anytime you can make those connections in education. It's such a powerful thing. Yeah, it sure is. I agree. And being able to talk with people from all over the world and country about the different things we're facing and the challenges we're facing is one of the highlights of what I get to do. So uh, I'm excited about that. Today, we're going to talk about 
breaking down the need for control in our classrooms. And so we're going to have a free-flowing discussion about that idea. And with Rebecca having a perspective as a special ed teacher and me having a perspective as an administrator and parent of a student with special needs, it'll be, I think, a good conversation. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Let's get started by first defining what you mean by uh, the need for control. What does that look like in your definition, Rebecca? So when somebody walks through the halls of a school and they have a certain idea of how it's supposed to function, of course, this is in normal times when it's not remote learning with plexiglass everywhere to separate us us all. But in normal times, when you walk through, I think there is a general feeling that if kids are all in their seats and quiet and in rows and studying hard and listening, there's still this ideal vision that the teacher is in the front of the room at the board and that's the way that it should be. And that if the kids are compliant and behaved and dressed well, that that is the perfect idea of a classroom. And I want to challenge that because an engaged learner is someone who is doing. And in my own classroom, I would rather have a noisy classroom with kids laughing, having a good time, and by result of that, also learning the material, what whatever it is that we are doing on that day. And I really think that there's been this large divide of, you know, what we want children to do. Do we want them to behave or do we want them to learn? What does behavior look like? And then how much control as the teacher and the school should we have on how they're interacting with one another? Um, One of the first conversations that we had Jethro and I really focused on how we have spent so much time on safety in the public education setting, which is so important, but we've kind of forgot that our main purpose is education. That's an area where I feel very strongly that as soon as our priority moves away from learning, then learning is no longer our priority. And we can only have one. We can't have multiple. We can't have safety and learning and health and social emotional and all this kind of stuff. We can have one priority. And we need to be clear about what that one priority is because otherwise it gets too diluted. The question you asked was, do we want kids to behave or want them to learn? And I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive But I think the key point comes in here is that when we, when we focus on the wrong thing, then we have other unintended consequences. So if our focus is really learning, then that, then that's going to drive pretty much everything that we do. If that's really what our priority is, if our focus is good behavior, you know, like positive behavior interventions and supports that changes our focus from learning. And people say that it's too help us have an environment for learning, but really the emphasis gets put in a different place and is really focused on behavior instead of learning. So how, how do we manage those two things? Yeah, we want kids to behave. I'm not against that at all, but sometimes learning can be messy. 
Absolutely. I always view it in this way. You have to have your health first, right? So that's what we're trying to do now in the COVID world. You can't learn if you're not well, right? You have to have your physical health. You have to have emotional health. And then we can get to the relationship and the learning. Because if there is a behavior, especially with kids who cannot communicate their needs due to a variety of reasons why, behavior is a signal that there's something else. So do I think that schools should be solely responsible for the mental health, the physical health, and the education? I think that we need to share the responsibility. I think that as a social sector, we need to be putting more resources into schools and education if they are, in fact, to do all of the following things. Um, We can't focus on just the learning when there are so many other issues. But when it comes to behavior, instead of controlling it and putting a kid on a chart and whether he's green or red or a yellow chart and, you know, all these fancy systems that take so much time and take away from the teacher's ability to really get down to the things that she needs to do. I will say that is the number one thing. When I taught fourth grade, it was my very first like contract teaching job. I had done a lot of other teaching in, you know, in different types of settings. But the minute I got into a brick and mortar type classroom, my days were spent filling out those charts, trying to figure out who needs to go in the cool down space, who doesn't. And the kids figure out the system before you've figured out your own system. And they play it and it's a game. And it totally takes away the spirit of the classroom and the focus. I do think it's important to identify and recognize kids' emotional health and not make it a separate class, a separate thing to do. It has to be inclusive throughout. Then you don't have to look at those compliance, did they do X, Y, Z. You're looking at their engagement and how they're talking to the person next to them. It's not just something that you do. It becomes the culture in the class. As I think about what you're saying, I think about my interview with Seth Godin on the podcast a few years ago where he he talked about enrollment as opposed to engagement. And enrollment is where you are signing up for the thing, whatever it is. And so we can have engaged kids because they can be doing what we think they should be doing. But we can also have enrolled kids who want to do the thing that we're doing, which is a different type of approach. When I think about that myself, I think about what that means is that the kids actually care about what we're doing and they want to be part of it. And it's not compulsory in that they're required to participate, but it's an enrollment because they're choosing to. And even though school is compulsory, at least here in the United States, and kids have to go to school and have to you know, be enrolled in some sort of program, that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to look the same for every single student. And 
in my experience, every time I've given kids, regardless of their ability level, the opportunity to choose, they have um, been more enrolled, more engaged, more eager to participate than when it's being forced on them. And one of the common beliefs with many kids with disabilities is that they need this very clear structure, that they thrive on that, and that they're better behaved and more successful when all these structures in place. That's why there's point systems and charts and things like that. If you don't want it to be all about the point systems and charts, how do you propose that we help these kids where most educators believe that they they need that clear definitive structure to help them be successful. We talk about relationships a lot. I think kids need to see their progress no matter what level. There's never a child who wants to do bad. I don't care socioeconomic, disability, whatever grade level, you would be surprised. I currently teach high school seniors. And when I pull out the smelly stickers to go on their test, they're just as excited as the preschool kids. And I think that it's that relationship building. It's showing them where they are, where we want them to be, setting those structures in goals. I don't believe that kids should have to earn a treat every time they do something well. I don't believe that. I think there's a part of us that is animalistic and that we have that the Pavlov's dog, we're going to do it, but then we're not doing it because we want to, we're doing it because we want the, the treat. At some point, it's going away from that extrinsic to the in, intrinsic and doing it intentionally. But what happens is that we create these systems and we spend so much time to create them. We get stuck there because we know them. It worked. But what I've learned is that after a while, those things don't work and they break down and you have to be flexible. Like special education has taught me you could come in with the perfect plan, the perfect idea. And that day, it's just not going to work because of some... It's a full moon. I don't know. But you walk in and you realize you have to change it and you have to realize the people in the room. And that's the whole, the science and the art. So yes, do you have to have clear expectations? A hundred percent. But if it's not fitting, let's stop trying to, to cram the square into a circle. And that's what we constantly do when we're not comfortable with something that is pushing our system, the thing that we made, we it's very emotional, right? Like teaching and the thing that we, we don't talk about is how emotional it is when we want the kids to do well. And when they don't, we take it home and it hurts. So then it becomes this personal thing. And that's another thing. Don't take things to heart. Every day is a new day, literally in the the philosophical sense. But our brains, when we go to bed at night, we're learning, they're rewiring. And that includes us and that includes the kids. So let's stop putting that kid who's always on red 
when he comes in the next day, everybody starts fresh. And with those goals, those long-term goals still there, but we have to stop putting the kids in these little boxes that make us feel better. You talked a little bit about motivation, intrinsic versus extrinsic. We did a masterclass on that in episode 390 with Mike Anderson, who literally wrote the book on motivation. And he talked so eloquently about it and it was so good. I think that is going to go down as probably one of the best interviews that I've done because it was so eye-opening about how to get this motivation, this intrinsic motivation to actually work. And what we have to realize first and foremost is that anytime we try to impose our will on others, it is extrinsic motivation no matter what. So recognizing that and realizing that it's all on the kids to find that motivation in themselves, I think is a really freeing and empowering thing to say. One of the other things you said that I kind of want to unpack a little bit is this idea of you have to be well to learn. And I I don't agree with that because we have all learned through challenges and adversity and in difficult things. And kids can continue to learn even when those hard things are happening. And so I think that we put in order to justify our approach for control and getting kids to do what we want them to do to make it easier for us, we justify that idea of you have to be well to learn. But there are plenty of things that I've learned when I've been sick or unhealthy or not in a good frame of mind mentally. And I will admit that, yes, you'll learn things differently, but that doesn't mean that they're any less valuable or have any less impact on you because of that. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with Regard to Teacher Well-Being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I created a new podcast with my friend Frederick Lane called Cybertraps. We are exploring the myriad risks and adverse consequences that can arise from the use and misuse of digital devices and electronic communication tools. Please subscribe to the Cybertraps podcast, and if you like it, please give us a rating. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Eric Stevens on the value of identity and being ethical in our work with underserved populations. If I approach my research with the intention of helping a group of people, but I'm using the data that they themselves have created and have been replicated by their their own personal identity, replicated over and over and over and over, my research is already flawed ethically. Some people, that's not a big thing. For me, 
it was problematic because I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting people, but I still wanted to help. What I ended up creating was I wanted to understand the prison system at the language level across time um, and across space in the United States. Um, Basically, I wanted to understand if we send a person to prison, we're sending them to a correctional facility um, with correctional officers. And we give them handbooks to say, hey, this is what you should be doing. What I wanted to answer was at the language level with the technical documents that we hand to um, an inmate, what are we correcting them to? To what standard are we asking them to be at the language level? Check out more from this interview at cybertraps.com slash seven. What's your response to that, Rebecca? So right now, the buzzword is trauma-informed, being aware of people's situations. And while I, too, believe that we can learn, I don't know if we're going to be able to learn at our max capacity. We might do it and get by. And through that, there's life lessons there. But if we don't recognize it, and if we don't allow for, once again, that flexibility, there's some teachers who are flexible with deadlines, whereas others are like, no, this is what I put in place and it was due on Friday and it needs to be in. I think when we take into consideration what a person is going through, And for example, right now I am home, well, virtually schooling someone who is in an outpatient facility. We were doing the Algebra 1 curriculum and I saw that it was just not going to work. So we, I really thought about it and we changed up what we needed to do based on what was the foundational skills. Being able to say, hey, I think that our common core standards, our test scores are not improving because of them. We have to see the whole picture and realize what's important right now. And I think that's what I mean when you have to be well. You have to focus on what is most essential to get that student to whatever their goal is to that next place. Is it the most important thing that she completed the square root worksheet that I spent three hours making if she still didn't get the concept. So then I have to change and realize what is it that I really want them to take from this lesson versus saying, guys, you didn't complete it again. All right, we're going to do it again because you don't get it. Well, why is it not working? And being able to have those conversations, you know, depending on the level, talking to the kids too. I've seen it work across levels. Um, Something that we did in my one class was this plus minus Delta chart. And it helped kids be aware of, you know, their behaviors or how successful they are by 
pointing out what went well, what could have been better, and what could we change for next time. It's having that, I guess it's the metacognition of thinking about what you're doing from the teacher's perspective and then also allowing the kids some time to think about that. I also know that there's some administrators that walk in and expect you to be, regardless of how the day went or what kid was where, they want you to be at the spot in your lesson plans that you put down. So at the same time, while we want this engaged learner who is self-exploring, sometimes the teachers are being told to be just as compliant. So our systems that way are not aligned. I really hope that the situation that we're in right now, we don't have a choice but to focus on the most essential lessons because I'm seeing my students a lot less. So instead of seeing them every day, I'm seeing half of them in class one day, then one day is all remote, then half of them go back home. We are not going to get through the amount of curriculum. So it's made me really go back and say, what do we need? And when kids can't sign on because they have a doctor's appointment, like that's been a huge conversation. Am I going to mark that they have a zero? Or am I going to be flexible and realize that this is not a typical circumstance? And I'm curious to know these things that we're allowing ourselves to be flexible on in a pandemic, what is going to carry over when and if school proceeds as it's a, it typically had in the past? That's an area where I'm hopeful that many of these things will change as schools start reopening back to what they were before with kids in school full time and that we can let a lot of these things go. As answering the question that I asked in the beginning, I, I think that part of our focus on making sure that that kids are well and checking in on them in that regard early on, like focusing on like the Maslow before blooms and certainly not right now during the pandemic. Um, but I think that there is some aspect of that that is justification for procrastination of doing the hard work and pushing through the challenges that we're facing to really get to to help kids learn and grow. That's a little tiny inkling of a thought that I'm not sure is is fully developed yet, but that's something that our conversation is kind of making me think about that. And I'm I'm a big proponent of trauma-informed practices and and training and I train uh, schools on that myself from a very practical uh, perspective because I'm not a counselor and I don't think I should be. But I've seen things that work, and and that's an area where sometimes I feel like we we want to take the easy route out of dealing with that instead of dealing with the real problems that we're facing in our schools that we can actually control. Because we can't control what happens in a kid's home, but we can control what happens at school. And I think it's how we are assessing how successful a school is. Right now, when you go on, if you want to move and you're looking up the score, it's based on these standardized assessments that haven't worked, that continue to not work, but we continue to do the same thing. And what do they say? Like, if you do the same thing over 
and over again, that's a sign of a crazy person. But our system, we have just done the same thing with the same results. In fact, they're getting worse. Our results are getting worse because we're not getting to the kids that need it the most because we're still trying to fit them into this box. It's like kids that struggle, take the test. They don't do well on the test. We give them another test to show them, yeah, you're not good at this. So what does that say to them? It limits them. It tells them you can't. And then we're like, you know what? If you can't do it enough, we're going to give you a label. And that label is something along the lines of specific learning disability, which is the least specific category of IEPs. So now you're telling me I can't do it, but I'm not quite sure why I can't do it. So I'm going to go in these smaller classes with other kids that can't do it and never have the chance to push myself further. In some cases, I do think kids do better in a smaller class. And with that support, uh, it's what I do day to day. So I would be wrong if I said like, it needs to go away completely. But by the time these kids are in high school, they've been told that they aren't good at math for a really long time. And there's a lot more coaching that I have to do just to get them to want to be here. And so if I didn't make it fun, if I didn't add humor to my class, if I didn't try to connect it to whatever career or job or just aspirations or the interest, like it doesn't, that's something else I think about a lot. Is school just to train our workers? Or is school meant to inspire and inform our citizens? And I think there's two different frames of thought there that is part of the reason why we assess our students the way we do. That's the question that I've been asking for a long time myself. What is school for? Is school for, like you said, training workers or is school for helping people become functioning, successful members of society? Or is it for something else? And the reality is, is I don't think that we know what school is really for, which is why we're all over the place. Some people think school is for daycare. And to be honest, that's what school is for, for a lot of parents. And that's just the truth. You know, if parents could stay home and be with their kids all day, I'm sure that they would do that in a heartbeat if they could. And if they wanted to, other parents are like, man, thank goodness school is starting because I'm going crazy over the summer because I just want my kids out of the house. That's just the reality of the society and world that we live in right now. And I'm not judging anybody about how they feel about that, but we have to be clear as the professionals in the industry, what school is for the students who come to our schools. And tragically, Rebecca, I don't think that very many of us know what it's really for. And I would bet that almost no school has an entire faculty that can all agree on the answer to that question. So interesting connection. Right now we're dealing with in New Jersey, um, our COVID rates are going up. 
Um, last week was optional work from home. This week we were told that we should come into the building after the Thanksgiving break. The kids will not be reporting, but the teachers are supposed to because even though we're not considered essential workers, we are considered, I forget how they phrased it, infrastructure necessary. And I just think that that's a really interesting term because to me, that was code for we need you so people can go to work. But it's just this weird thing because if I come to work and the kids are not here, well, then the kids are still at home. And now my kid doesn't have any care. So none of it is making sense. And when you ask specific questions as to, okay, so why do we need to do this? Which is the question that I teach my kids to ask, no matter what age level, always try to find out why we need to do this. I haven't gotten one clear answer because I don't think anybody knows, but we do it because it feels right. It seems right. It's to keep the community happy. I I guess I'm curious, how do we shift the thinking? How do we make this public service that feels valuable? Because I know I have a ton of degrees right now. (laughs) I've gone to school for a very, very long time. I continue to learn and take professional development and be a part of talks like these And, you know, I have to have multiple jobs because I'm a teacher. It's what I love, but it doesn't always pay the bills. So how are we going to get people to even want to be here? Yeah, I I think that that is a great question and something that I'm trying to figure out through this podcast, through the trainings and consulting that I do. That's a lot of the the stuff that we talk about. As a side note, I used to say that I have a second job to support my habit of being a teacher. So that's kind of what it's come down to. It's been very interesting to be a part of these conferences that are international that I would never have the money to be able to fly and have a hotel room and do all that. But now that it's this virtual world, I'm like, well, 200 bucks is not that bad. I have an addiction to learning. I hope that that is contagious and that my students see that, that I get excited about new things and that I didn't just memorize a math textbook and now I'm just going to regurgitate that to you. I'm constantly challenging myself to do it in a different way. And it's usually because of the kids in front of me. If I see that they're not and getting there, I'm not just going to pass things out and just check off boxes. I don't think that's what education is, but I think that's how it's been for a while now. I think we just, if the kids are sitting, it's turned in, my grades are in, the parents get to see the grades, it's predictable. I don't have to think hard about it. Everybody's happy. I think it does take leadership to inspire that. And unfortunately, I think a lot of our leaders right now are spending so much time with these re-entry plans and schedules. I don't know if they have it in them to continue to inspire others to do more. Because I think in the field, we're approaching burnout. 
collectively. Yeah. And that's one thing that in the, in the masterminds that I run with principals um, that are, you know, little group uh, training sessions, that's like the best PD out there. They have been really grateful as during the coronavirus, we've been focusing on instruction still and focusing on still doing the work that we're here to do and not getting sidetracked by, you know, all those protocols and plans and procedures that have to be in place. This has been a great conversation, Rebecca, in closing What is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? I would encourage them to not ever write off any student or educator. That if somebody is in the building, that they have potential. And that by getting to know the student, getting to know the teacher and understanding them, um, they are a valuable asset to the function of the school and to just always look for everybody's individual strengths. I see this too often. You are not alone. There is somebody in that building or in the community that does want to support you, even though it may not feel that way all the time. But if you listen and stop and look, There are people who want to have great things in their school just to always look for those shining and moments, even when it feels dark. Yeah, I think that that is great advice. If you'd like to connect more with Rebecca, you can follow her on Twitter at Educator Muller. And you can also go to her website, educatormuller.org, and check out the things she's doing. And again, if you want to be part of her exceptional circumstances for exceptional learners on Learning Revolution, that's learningrevolution.com slash group slash ECEL. And again, Rebecca, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash principle. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? 
you need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.